This is Frameform. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Frameform, a podcast about movies, moving, and everything in between. My name is Claire Schweitzer, and for those of you who are new to the show, Frameform is a podcast collaboration between myself, Screen Dance Collective's Hannah Weber, and Dance Cinema's Jen Ray. Frameform presents a combination of interviews and panel discussions on the intersections of dance, technology, and culture. We have three seasons available for all of your binge listening pleasure, which you can listen to wherever you get your podcasts. We are thrilled to kick off season four in collaboration with Dance Camera West, LA's longest continuously running annual dance film festival, by presenting conversations with festival artists. First up is a conversation with Hannah and Bridget Murnane director of the opening night documentary film Bella about the life, work, influence, and impact of California-based choreographer and arts activist Bella Lewitsky. This interview was recorded in January 2023 in advance of Dance Camera West and the screening of Bella at the festival. If you didn't get a chance to experience it, fear not, for Bella is continuing its robust festival tour and may be coming to a city near you. Details on how to follow the film can be found in the show notes. Before we go into the film, I just wanted to talk about you for a second. So I'm curious, just for yourself, like what drew you to layer dance and film into your own creative endeavors? Oh, well, I was a dancer. Um, I was a professional dancer. Last time I performed was 1986. When I was 29, I went back to school to get a master's in dance at UCLA because I thought that way I could teach in college and have a job. (laughs) (laughs) I had like no health insurance. I was making a hundred bucks a week teaching a million classes and I had to do something. So I went to get a master's at UCLA in dance. And while I was there, I discovered that, you know, I had already been dancing for a while and choreographing. And so um, I started going up to the film school, helping out with shoots. And the first shoot I helped out on, um, the class was taught by Shirley Clark, who is a very well-known filmmaker, (laughs) you know, very well-known and was a former dancer and did some of the first like incredible dance films like her film with Daniel Nagrin's amazing and you know that so that was I was fortunate to kind of fall into all that so I ended up doing a special thesis in the dance department called video as a choreographic tool where I took three pieces that I choreographed and actually danced in I think a lot of them um, and did video and you know tried to make something that was not film or dance but cine dance and I was also lucky because at the time Allegra Fuller Schneider was at the dance department and she was my advisor on my thesis and I don't know if you know who she is but she was Buckminster Fuller's daughter and she had been a dancer and she wrote the initial proposal to the NEA to create sort of funding for Cinedance. She had done a film on Mary Vigman that's very famous. And so she was advising me and it was just fabulous. So I finished the MA in dance and then I officially went into the film school and did an MFA in film and television. I have to say that it's a similar path that I went into. I mean, many years later, but, uh, I love how it all kind of translates in a way 
the way we create as choreographers and then putting that into the screen it's all movement and putting pieces together maybe it doesn't fit together perfectly but you could do whatever you want yeah I mean editing is really just choreographing (laughs) going into Bella first documentary that's amazing as a feature that's such a project what drew you to Bella in the first place and why do we need her story to be told more than ever? Um, I met Bella through my teacher in Boston, Susan Rose. And this was, this was in the 70s. I met Bella and her company in 1978 when they came to Boston, actually to Cambridge, where, where I'm from. And um, Susan had been her student at CalArts, and Susan also had work in Bella's rep. Susan and, and Bella were quite close. So I met the company in 78, and I was just so impressed by them. Um, so that following, let's see, it must have been spring or summer, I, they did a workshop in Buffalo, um, SUNY Buffalo. So I went up there and did that workshop, and I loved it. And so then I went to Idlewild, where she did summer workshops. So I went there for two years. And um, then eventually in 1982, when I decided to go back to school, you know, and I went to, I got the scholarship to UCLA, the only people I knew in LA were Bella, her husband, and the company. So, you know, my first roommate was somebody in the company, and I lived on a street where everybody in the company lived. And... Bella used to get me house-sitting jobs, and, you know, we we just became very friendly, and um, I became very good friends with some people in her company. Um, and then, you know, years later, um, I always followed her. I saw them whenever they came to Boston. I went to their final concert in 1997, and then after she quit the company, she and her husband, Newell, came and stayed with me for a couple of days. Oh, wow. Because they did their last, like, driving trip up the New England coast in the fall. So, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So they came and stayed. And so we always stayed in touch. I mean, when 9-11 happened, the first call was from Bella and Newell. And then I moved back to L.A. in 2003. And by that point, Bella and Newell were living in an assisted living facility in Pasadena. So I, would, I really wanted to do a film about her then. I just, you know, I just couldn't get the money and I couldn't do it. And I came to a point where I was like, I'm getting older and, you know, what's my bucket list? And if I don't do it now, it's not going to get done. And I feel that Bella has a really important voice and it should be in a lot of the discussions that we're having today. And nobody knows about her or her voice or her history even in the dance world, people don't really know about her. She's kind of this mythical creature from the West. Um, but people don't know that she was blacklisted. You know, people don't know that she sued the NEA. Um, and she always you know, spoke up and held firm to her beliefs and was a real role model for me. Um, and especially now, I feel like you know, we need to know more about people like Bella, you know, people who came before us, especially in the dance world, because, you know, she was the only dancer brought up before HUAC in Hollywood. There was no other dancer brought up and nobody even knows. So I just felt like do it now 
or don't do it. Well, you can finally cross that off your bucket list. Congratulations <laughs> on, you know, bucket lists are hard. <laughs> oh, yes. This was, I'm still in the, I'm, even though it's done and made, I still feel like I'm on this journey with it. You know, it's like yeah. the baby's been born, but now we have to get it into school and everything. <laughs> Learning about Bella was maybe so curious at the same time I feel like uh, growing up and also learning dance and majoring it I have heard Bella Lewinsky before I just never really was curious about it I've some of the things that were said even in the documentary about you know dance history usually is like always in the New York area the northeast and haven't really known much about the west mm -hmm. side of yeah. the nation and it's amazing i think all the things that was brought up definitely made sense i think we're definitely like in a renaissance right now where we're good learning more about all these other dancers that from our history that we need to know and that have put huge roots into our system so i mean i applaud you for bringing this to light. And, and I think it's really important for people to know that she really created the technique with Lester Horton. Yeah. And I think it, because she was a woman that she really did not get a lot of the acknowledgement that she should have gotten. Whenever people talk about her, they always say, one of Lester Horton's students along with, and then there's the usual list, you know, like Alvin Ailey and Carmen DeLavalade and Joyce Trisler. Right. But they didn't come to Horton until the late 40s, right. mid-40s. Bella started with him in 1934. And he, you know, he created the technique on her. People often say, oh, he used his, you know, her body to create the technique. And I'm like, you know what? I think that there was a head attached to that body and a brain <laughs> inside that head. So it's not like he was this puppet master and, you know, she was a very intelligent woman, and I don't think that it, it would have been created without her. I totally agree. And with that, I have to say, uh, a lot of this film coming from archival uh, work is so impressive. And just that early stuff with Horton of her dancing, I was just so impressed of like what incredible condition it is in. And I was just wondering, like like I said, 95% archival, maybe we could say 5% current day interviews. What was working with all that material like? And what was it like even just like tracking its timeline? Well, it was like being a detective. <laughs> <laughs> it really was. I mean, one thing we were lucky about is that um, her archive is at USC. Oh, amazing. Um, in, in special collections. It's the Lewitsky Dance Company archive. So um, when she and Newell moved out of their house in L.A. and they closed the office, all the materials went to the archive. Um, and actually, I was the first one to go through all of the film and videos and catalog them. And over the years, I was somewhat familiar with what was there. Right. I'm really glad I didn't make the film earlier because now we have um, many more tools to preserve material and to digitize and to make the stuff look a lot better and, you know, to clean it up and all that. But 
what we really had, what I got from the archives, and that in itself was a big hunt, you know, finding stuff. Because yeah. also, you know, when they stopped using film <laughs> and they started using three-quarter inch, it was all over. You know, yeah. then you just started seeing ghostly figures. And, you know, when they were at least using 8-millimeter and Super 8 or 16, it's in pretty good shape. Yeah, and yeah. you can clean it up really well. But And sometimes, like, you know, the company would record if she was interviewed um, or she did, like, a news thing, whatever. They would just record it off air on VHS tape. So a lot of times that's what we had. And I eventually, in June of 2021, I hired an archival producer, um, Hillary Dan out of New York. And she was just phenomenal. So we kind of had this, you know, we had our cut and it was sort of like a pencil sketch, you know, <laughs> and then we had to find all this material. And, you know, the, the news stations from the 80s in L.A. are gone yeah. and they did not save a lot of stuff. They just used to tape over things. Yeah. So so it was a real hunt, and we were lucky because Hillary um, worked at CBS News for a long time, and she's an amazing archival producer. So she was the one that would go and look for stuff, but sometimes we were the only people that had it, so we had to make it look as good as possible. And that was, you know, um, our finishing place and color correction and and all of that. And also, I should mention, we brought on an associate archival producer, Justine Pierce, um, in Portland, Oregon. Hillary had to go and take another job because I couldn't pay her full time, you know, after a while. So then Justine had been her assistant and she came in and sort of worked part time. Well, I applaud your team. I It's just amazing to see well, work that's just been in one pristine condition for so long. And two, that is, it is preserved. And also I applaud you for even like, not that you know the whole catalog, but now it's probably all digitized. I think, I think I do. <laughs> I mean, at this point, and it was a real hunt because, you know, things would be, there'd be something at the beginning of a tape and something in the middle of a tape and something at the end of a tape or stuff would be mislabeled or it was in the wrong box, or it was identified wrong. You know, it was just, it was a real hunt. <laughs> it's its one of those dirty jobs that no one wants yeah. to do, but it has yeah. to be done for yeah. it to live forward. Um, mm -hmm. I applaud mm -hmm. any archivist who does this kind of work. Oh, it's amazing. And I did give the archive everything that I had digitized. Thank you, Bridget, for doing that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Well, to follow up with that, I the as I've been saying, talking about how this film is all archive, but with that, um, there's not like a voice of God kind of tone to this. It's all Bella's voice, as well as people who have worked with Bella throughout this whole documentary. It's as if like Bella is there with us. You know, she's talking for herself, and usually in those docu most documentaries, this person is in the past. We barely hear their voice. It's kind of more we're talking about them instead of addressing them as if they're in the room. And even the subjects, um, dance company members and board members and musicians who have worked with her, she is still present within them. And one thing I noticed about Bella's artistry was that she liked to keep things evergreen and I felt like this film 
was evergreen. Was that intended when making this or did it just naturally fall into that direction? Well, I think I, you know, I did start out wanting her voice. I just felt that was so important because all of her life, you know, her decisions, I mean, her voice just had to be there. And I didn't want somebody else talking about her. So um, we were lucky in that um, UCLA did an audio oral history with her in the early 90s, early to mid 90s. Um, And it was like three volumes this thick. Wow. (laughs) And we had it, I had to, oh, it was awful. I had to have it all like copied and then digitized. Um, so, and, and they had audio tapes, but they were cassettes. Um, so we had the cassettes all digitized. Um, but it gave us kind of a basis yeah. um, for a lot of it. Because in the beginning, we started out more like with a timeline. Like um, my writer, one of the co-writers, Pat Verducci, started, you know, did a first script that was basically a timeline. But, you know, timelines are really boring. So <laughs> we, we got to a point where we kind of threw that out and just, you know. But there were, there's so many audio sources that her voice comes from. Yeah. You know, she was recording something in her living room with her company on a cassette yeah. that, you know, was in there. And um, from news interviews or... You know, everything, we, we really tried to use a, a lot of different sources that we had. And I was lucky that we, have a re- we had a really good sound mixer, Woody Woodhall, mm-hmm. um, who's been around for a while and so knows different formats. So he worked with um, the different sources to try to make it, you know, <laughs> yes, this is Bella's voice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was quite amazing how seamless it was, especially whenever... Oh, she was talking about either a serious moment in time or talking about her piece. Again, I applaud you for cataloging everything because it, I just can't believe like how much time was put into it and so carefully put together to make those happen. Like people didn't have to talk about it. She got to talk about her piece for Mm -hmm. what it was. Mm And mm-hmm. that was there and documented. And that's what we want to hear most of the time when we're learning about the inspiration of a piece, mm-hmm. whether that be how the stage was constructed using the negative space or even just what she was feeling at the time. I think. The last piece, uh, Recuerdo, I thought that was the only piece that we actually hear it from a different point of view, which I thought was very a nice intention where we've reflected on all of Bella's work. And then this is the moment like, you know, this is what I think was happening. This Recuerdo was the entire story that we just listened and watched and experienced on screen. We were lucky to find that footage. That footage is um, really beautiful. And um, it was um, directed by Charles Dubin, who was a good friend of Bella. He directed more episodes of MASH than anybody else. <laughs> he, he was a big, you know, TV director and they were good friends. So 
they had done that shoot. But I wanted to also mention my editor, Alex Bush, who, you know, when you were talking about putting everything together and having it flow so nicely, and, you know, Alex was just phenomenal, just phenomenal. And, and, and I feel like he and I really made this film together. The editor-director relationship is one of the strongest bonds. That... In documentary especially. Especially in documentary. I mean, that is something that you cannot storyboard. <laughs> that is something that you have to problem solve through the thick and the thin. Definitely. And we did bring in a couple of consulting editors, <laughs> uh, Pam Wise and Bill Hogsey. Um, and that was really great, too, because and that was so great about Alex, because, you know, you come to a point where it's like we need to bring somebody else in now. Yeah. Like, I can't see it. We need to get other eyes on it. Yeah. And that's really great when your editor says that to you. And then you find people who can come in and give you right. constructive feedback. Yeah. So that that was great. Now, I know we've talked about the importance of Bella and why you wanted to bring her to the light. But what are you hoping that audience take away after watching her story on screen? Well, it's like people are always asking me, like, you know, what are the goals of your film? And it's yeah. like, num number one, I want to change the world <laughs> be because I think Bella did. Yeah. You know, and making this, I used to say to people a couple, in 2020, I'm doing two things this year. I'm voting and making a film about Bella Lewitsky. <laughs> that is my political act. So I feel like number one is I want to change the world. And number two is I want as many people to see it as possible. And number three, I'd like to break even. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I really feel like, you know, people have to see it. I mean, nobody's going to know about it unless they see it. So um, we've, we're doing really well with festivals. Um, we're in Palm Springs this week. We have three shows that are all sold out, which Amazing. I'm really thrilled about. Um, and then, you know, the following week, we're going to have Dance Camera West and the Los Angeles premiere, which is really going to be something because there's yeah. a lot of her company members coming Oh, musicians, wow. staff people. I mean, I've been hearing from everybody. So it's really going to be a Lewitsky reunion. I think that's going to be so special and yet also so important mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. those company members. And yeah, again, yeah, that's a Los Angeles premiere. It's bring it back home to California. Exactly. And it's going to be at Barnsdall Park, which um, is uh, where the Hollyhock House is, which was, was designed by Frank Lloyd Wright. Um, and it has a beautiful theater, and it's on this hilltop in Hollywood that has amazing views. You know, you can see the Griffith Observatory. You can see the Hollywood sign. You can see downtown. And, you know, I think Bella and her husband, Newell, would love the fact that it's there. I congratulate everyone, including her. <laughs> <laughs> So what's your next project? Do you have anything in the works? I, I really think I'm, it's going to be a personal project. Um, I want to do something completely different. I mean, I'm still working on this film full time um, with the festival stuff and looking for distribution and, and all of that. But I, I feel like I'm going to pull back and go into a personal film about my family in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I, that's another film I've been wanting to do for years and years and has been in my bucket list. So I think that's next. I, I look forward to that. 
Thank you so much, Bridget, for doing this. And um, where can people find you? Um, I'm on the web, uh, BridgetMurnane.com. Um, and I'm also on the Bellasfilm.com website. Um, I have a YouTube channel. I have all the usual stuff. Actually, I just axed Twitter for everything because I don't think Bella would like what was, what's been going on with Twitter. <laughs> So we're off, we're off Twitter right now. Um, but yeah, um, um, you can definitely, if you go to Bella's um, Facebook page or, you know, I'm the one doing it all. So Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for doing this. This really helps to spread the word and, and to get people to see the film. And that's what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. This is Frameform. Hosted by Hannah Weber, Jen Ray, and Claire Schweitzer. Episode edited by the Frameform team, with social media support from Maddie Leitner and music by Mason Carlton. Thanks for listening.